Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the first ever instalment of the British Donkey Uprising. I'm not really sure what it is, so podcast will do in the absence of anything sensible. We're going to be talking about current affairs, some serious issues which have caught our eye, and we have an interview with the Cardinal Sins, who'll be playing a couple of tracks for us too. But first, it's a dip into the murky world of social media. I've had to take a step back from the political side of Twitter. It's depressing and I keep annoying the far right because being a snowflake is a full-time job. Nonetheless, I've taken the time to dip in, and I've even run a couple of polls relevant to the crumbling pre-apocalyptic world of ours. This week, tax barrister Jolion Morm, QC, has successfully funded a campaign to take legal action against the triggering of Article 50. In Ireland. He's asking fundamentally simple questions. Should Parliament control the terms of Brexit? Could we have a referendum on the final deal? Can Article 50 be revoked once triggered? And does leaving the EU automatically take us out of the European economic area? These are sensible questions, in particular as the increased likelihood of financial adverse impact through things like increased food and energy costs due to our import needs and higher burdens on exporters all come to the fore. What caught my eye was his blisteringly simple explanation of the Supreme Court case which many people still don't seem to get the nub of. He rightly points out that Parliament, who represent all of us, can't conduct the negotiations, because only the government can. But the government itself has no democratic mandate as regards to the Brexit negotiations, because it wasn't a manifesto issue at the general election. So in effect, while the referendum was put to the people, the actual meaning and method still needs to be, because it's never, not for a second, been discussed elsewhere. As it stands, the government has said it will publish Brexit plans before Article 50 is triggered. But what happens if the trigger is pulled and they fail to get the deal? Parliament effectively can't hold them to account on the failure. That is, of course, unless Article 50 as a trigger can be reversed. It's fascinating. It did beg a question for me, in this world where democracy is misunderstood and railed against almost daily. Do people still understand the difference between Parliament and a government? On my timeline, at least 97% of people do, which I suppose gives me some hope. This fed into my second poll, which asked for that most elusive answer of all lately. What are British values? The debate around this is intensifying, some insisting that our once proud pagan nation, decimated by immigrants who forced Christianity upon us, should be taught Christian values. Why? They aren't very old, and they've been just as responsible for war on this island as Islam. People say immigrants should take tests, swear oaths. It's all nonsense. Outdated, puerile fantasy, which is little more than a wet dream for increasingly vocal right-wing media. It turns out 15% of people believe British values are bigotry and racism, while 30% believe the answer was lemming-like idiocy. There was, however, a clear and decisive winner, with a now solidly understood winning margin of 52% of a fragment of population we can reveal that there is in fact no such thing as British values, because they don't exist. I'd almost love to see some alt-nihilist movement seize upon that at the next election. Though, all joking aside, this would be another case of history repeating, because it was done in Russia around 1900, when an extreme revolutionary party found nothing to approve of in the established social order. Right, so we're sat with a cup of coffee, and with me I have a good friend of mine, Paddy Navin, who is well. He's got his own group, the Cardinal Sins. Tell us about uh, tell us about the music, Paddy. 
the Cardinal Sins. Uh, yeah, it's the Cardinal Sins is the second iteration of me uh, as a, a musician, uh, amateur musician, I would add. Um, first being uh, Caryatid, um, which kind of morphed into the Cardinal Sins. Um, why the Cardinal Sins? The Cardinal Sins sounds like a group. Yeah, there are seven Cardinal Sins. It kind of it's a the band, and the bands are kind of you know where it's at. Yeah. Um, Music, music has always been a part of my life. Um, I listen to and go to see a lot of live music. Um, and about 16 years ago, um, I decided I need to buy a guitar, I need to learn to play it. Uh, and that's what I did. I bought an acoustic guitar and I uh, bought a book and I went on the internet and I learned the chord shapes. I still don't know what half of them are called. Um, and taught myself to play the guitar. Um, and from there, a kind of monster was born because uh, around about the same time I bought a Mac um, and when the Macs first came out um, with OS 10 the, the operating system uh, a couple of years into that Steve Jobs was doing his keynote and they produced this piece of software called GarageBand right and GarageBand is a um, at the time was a relatively simple multi-track recorder uh, in a computer uh, much like what was being used in the industry but it was a um, it was a commercially available consumer uh, piece of software that was phenomenally easy to use, but under the hood was incredibly powerful. Mm. And I realised that, hang on a second, I could actually start recording songs. Um, the issue being there is that at that point I'd never written any, um, and um, that kind of um, was the impetus for me. So, <clears throat> if anything. Technology, the ability to to do this stuff without the need to go and pay money in a studio, or um, particularly relevant to me, speak to other people. <laughs> well, everybody loves an introvert. <laughs> um, the, the, yeah, this this kind of created this situation for me where I could um, I could uh, record music, write music, experiment with the the um, what I'm capable of doing, hmm. um, and start to try and produce something that sounds reasonable. My earliest, earliest um, kind of uh, stuff, which you won't hear, um, is absolutely awful, but I learnt a lot about the, the technicalities of it. Yeah, it was very much like me with writing. Um, I had the misfortune of getting a box out of an old loft um, not so long back and looked at some stuff that I'd written many, many years ago. Um, it's, it's atrociously painful. Um, Tell me, tell me about the first band name. I can't even pronounce what you said. Caryatid. Um, the name is um, it's a, a, a pillar, uh, a Greek pillar that's in the shape of a woman. Hmm. So any pillar that's in the shape of a, a, a human figure is a caryatid. Okay. I picked up the word uh, somewhere many, many years ago. So caryatid was the first iteration, and um, the songs aren't on the back of the CD, so I'm going to have to try to remember which of the song, what the songs are. Um, it was primarily me finding my feet so the songs on wide awake are me discovering the recording process and as a result a lot of it's hot it's got very hot vocals very hot um drums in some places the guitars are not well mixed um very often the guitars are not well played and certainly one of the guitars is entirely out of intonation so um although one might add, uh, say that in some senses that adds to a particular flavor for that for that uh, um, <laughs> That particular sound. I, I, I'm telling you now, the last time I tried to play a guitar, it was uh, when I owned a pub, it was four o'clock in the morning with the chap who used to organise my open mic nights. The pair of us were completely hammered. 
Um, uh, apparently my arthritic hands can't deal with guitar playing. Um, barely a piano tune either. But it ended up with us both passed out, cuddled up on a sofa. As most good nights do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Carry Atted uh, and uh, the CD I put together out of that, Wide Awake. Um, there's a song on there which is um, I'd Like to Know What Makes You Tick, which at, that, at the time that I produced that, um, that particular CD, I was most proud of it. It kind of, uh, it was the, f the earliest time that I played something back and thought, you know, that actually sounds like something you might wonder, you know, you could hear on the radio. How, how do you describe the musical style that you play? <sighs> now that's a tough one because I don't think I have a specific style or certainly didn't have a specific style at that time. As you move forward into the Cardinal Sins, I think it moves closer to a kind of uh, power pop punk kind of US college rock style. Okay. Um, at the time when I was um, recording um, Wide Awake, um, it varied um, and was probably more influenced by the Americana type stuff that I listened to. So it had a, um, a certain, um, if, if you think wide vistas and um, desert roads, uh, and that was the kind of feel that I was looking for. Another track on that CD, Mercury Rising, um, has and I, I hate to say this, I'm not comparing myself, but some people compared it to a U2 song, and it's kind of that, it's bombastic, and it's big, and it's um, it's it's a little bit worthy, and it's a little bit, you know, uh, when I listen to it now, I think to myself, oh, God, but... How, how does it make you feel, though, when people compare to, to to huge bands like U2? Does it feel a bit weird? It does feel weird. Um, the other band that I used to get compared to a lot was R.E.M., um, in some of the stuff that transitioned between uh, Caryatid and Cardinal Sins and I'm a massive massive REM fan and always was um, and I love those bands from kind of Athens Georgia that kind of um, mid to late 80s college rock scene that, that suddenly burst into like the mainstream and, and, and took that American sound into into all our homes so I'm hugely flattered I'm, I'm massively flattered that anybody would even listen to my music and, and comment on it to be honest um, because for me, it's never been about putting something out there. It's been about trying to achieve something personal. Personal, yeah. So how 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 can you how can you buy your tunes? You can't. Um, the problem with the cardinal sins at the minute is that uh, there is no commercial uh, outlet for it, um, and that's purely down to me having the time to do it. So it tends to be word of mouth and. Um, I have this terrible habit of when people say they like my stuff, I'll just give them a CD. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in actual fact, that that gets the stuff out there, and I've I've, I've invested a couple of thousand pounds in, in CDs over the years uh, and given most of them away purely and simply because I don't, it's not a money making exercise. So you do it for love, basically. For the love of doing it, and it um, and its therapeutic effect. I, I, I find the same thing with my little hobby. Um, so, have you have you contemplated any of the the alternative new media like Spotify or, or anything similar? Yeah, I mean, I I do use SoundCloud, um, and again, that's um, that's for it's free at the moment, um, and uh, I let people download. But I don't let people download all the tunes. If it's something I'm not completely happy with, I'll leave it as a non-download uh, while I'm still working on it. Um, and I've, I've toyed with the idea of doing a Kickstarter to fund an album. Um, but the realist, realism of that is with having a day job, um, I wouldn't want to take people's money unless I knew that I was going to have a period of time in which I could properly use that money. 100, yeah, 100%. And deliver back. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I've actually been burnt myself on a couple of Kickstarters recently because um, I'm a massive fan of crowdfunding. Um, but 
there appears to be now um, a bit of a backlash with it, understandably, particularly with um, Pebble, the, the smartwatch people being taken over by Fitbit and people wondering whether they're going to get their money back. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've, I've looked at the um, the, the crowdfunding aspects. Um, I think I first looked at them when they were a brand new thing. I think they were still called Angels before they went online. This was many years ago. Um, I had the idea for this little thing called the Vegetable Project. And at the time, it was almost completely inaccessible. So what I've noticed is that the development of smartphones, apps, constant connectivity and accessibility has completely changed the way that people fund projects like that. Absolutely. And and for me, it would seem it's a logical extension because it was technology um, uh, and the internet and, and being able to share and uh, collaborate over the internet that that turned me in, into, I'm putting uh, uh, air quotes out, a musician um, because I've used, uh, I the first um, um, site that I started using was a site called Mac Jams and really I came across it by accident and I was looking up uh, making music on a Mac. Mac Jams has been a community that's been running for around about 15 years I think um, and people upload their tunes and other people comment on them um, and as a result I met my friend Craig Thomas who um, we have a, a side project called Dynamite Vampire which we produce music together. He lives in Virginia in the US, I live here, we've never met, uh, we've never even spoken uh, we've only ever spoken over email, but we've produced songs together. And again, the music that we've produced together has been compared to all kinds of, uh, of people. Um, and I've had people tell us that um, had we physically met in uh, at 20 years of age, we would probably be on our cynical In It For The Money reunion tour by now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the, the Cardinal Sins is your current iteration. And um, what we're going to do now, we're going to play a track from the album. Um, have you? What is the current album called? Uh, the new album is called American Pop Neutral. Okay. Um, and the track you're going to hear is a track called Sugared. Um, Sugared is a kind of it's a two and a half minute punky uh, blast, um, kind of about um, when you have that discussion with a person for the umpteenth time, and it's the same discussion you've had. Sorry, that's my iWatch going off there, my Apple Watch there, technology. Um, Sugar is about that um, that time you have that conversation, usually with a loved one, and you've had it you know, three dozen times before, um, and you get the answer back again and again, um, but they've sugared the pill one too many times. Um, and it's kind of about feeling like you never get it right. Yeah. 
China have flown a nuclear-capable bomber out into the South China Sea in response to a tweet. These are the signs of 2016 being the harbinger of death for all humankind. The interesting thing about UKIP, which has come out, and there hasn't been enough noise about this as far as I'm concerned, refers to a finding by one of the bodies of the European Union that UKIP had overspent to the tune of some £400,000 on illegal electioneering. In fact, they'd used EU money in a number of failed by-elections in the UK and made direct contributions towards the Brexit campaign. The end result of this is that they've been fined €170,000 or about £150,000, which they have to pay back immediately. The interesting side effect of this is it wasn't just UKIP, it was actually their coalition of right-wing parties in the EU. What this actually does mean is that the forward spending as well has been frozen for these parties, this taxpayers' fund which is allocated for, for campaigning within the EU. Now this is a good thing for Italy, for France and for Germany because it means that the coalition of right-wing parties in Europe are now facing a, a budget deficit in the forthcoming elections. So despite everything else which has happened in the rest of the world, it does look like there might be some hope that the right wing will not triumph. Of course, France have pulled a blinder by fielding a right-wing candidate against a far-right-wing candidate because they've allowed moderation to be applied. And in fact, that may well ensure that Le Pen doesn't win, which means France won't fall. In terms of Italy, they've obviously just held their referendum, which people seem to hail as another fall to the right. It's actually not. The referendum was about a significant constitutional change. This wasn't a right-wing vote of any description. What may now happen, what may now happen, now that Matteo Renzi has resigned, is there may be a general election and right-wing candidate Beppe Grillo, who is a comedian by the way, may well take some votes, he may even win. But this isn't alerts to the right in the same way. Europe now is far more alert to the infiltration of the American election by, by Russian hacking, by foreign influence. Germany itself has come out very, very early doors and said that there are already signs of, of hacking and propaganda being used to interfere with the election process. The Second World War left a legacy on Europe. It left scars, it left physical memories for a lot of people, for, for the generation voting now. But it also left a legacy of education. It left a legacy of fear of further occupation. And it left conscience, which has become part and parcel of French, German, Italian nationality. This is something that Britain and America don't have. And the simple reason is this. The land war, the, the occupation, it never happened here. So our view on the legacy of war is very, very much skewed. It speaks volumes for society, to be honest, and it's quite an interesting topic. The other thing in the news which has caught my eye is a simple hashtag, a story that was in the Telegraph which arose from a BBC story. BBC published a picture of two armed police officers smiling at a Christmas market. The furor, the, the result of this was a campaign by police officers on Twitter, some chief constables, some federation representatives posting pictures of themselves smiling. Well that's fine, police officers are allowed to smile. It's good, they should be happy. The problem is police officers aren't happy at the moment. The latest morale surveys show that police officers are the unhappiest that they've ever been. And the reason we've reached this point is because the government have cut police resourcing. There's an absence of tens of thousands of police officers now and police staff. Budgets are tight, budgets are restricted. Policing is under a great deal of pressure. And the way that it's reacting at the moment is to effectively reduce what the police do. The problem, and here is the problem, the, the central message which representatives of, of the police officers themselves and the senior police officers are trying to get across to Parliament is that they need more. They need more. They must have more. The staff are under pressure. The staff are unhappy. 
it's making an intolerable working environment. Of course, if you were to look at this from the reverse point of view, you would hear that argument go in one ear and it would invariably come out the other because your survey says you're unhappy. But look, here are hundreds of photos of you smiling, enjoying work, got time to stop and take these pictures, you've got time to use social media. So you can't be under that much pressure. So things can't be that intolerable. Perhaps it's just that you're moaning. This is the downside of knee-jerk reactions, I suppose. I'm not criticising police officers for smiling. As I've said, they should smile. What I do think, however, is that campaigns like this, little knee-jerks, which operate without necessarily the degree of strong leadership required, can sometimes generate a converse message, which would make it difficult to make other arguments. Right, we're back with Paddy. So, we've heard... Heard the track Sugars, and there's going to be another track coming up. Your your sort of your musical journey is quite an interesting one. I love the idea of this international collaboration with someone that you've never met, and the sort of the the crazy sounds that must come up with. What are your creative influences? What inspires you? Uh, today I'm wearing a Beatles t-shirt. Funnily enough, um, if you want to, go, if we go right back to the start uh, of what inspires me, um, the music of the Beatles kind of sits at the heart of of a lot. Of, of what I listen to um, and what I aspire to. You might not necessarily hear that in the music that I create because um, it's not about aping music, it's about being inspired to, um, to create music by someone. Um, a very overused song by the Beatles is Strawberry Fields Forever and it, it tends to get um, put out there for its um, role in psychedelia yeah. and, uh, and the whole notion of the LSD etc. However, for, for me in that song, there is a, a way uh, in which John Lennon delivers the line and he says, but it's all right at the end and his voice modulates that even now, having listened to that song a thousand times or more, sends a shiver down my spine. It's, it's so, it speaks to the musical core of me. Yeah. And so it starts from there and it's, and anytime I hear music that appears to have been created almost directly out of the brain of a person um, out of the uh, out of the very essence of a person so that strawberry fields would be a good example the the sergeant pepper album before it again a great example the use of, of uh, interesting sounds the the freedom that was involved in that and if i take that forward to 1995 96 a band called neutral milk hotel a guy called jeff mangum produced an album called in the airplane over the sea which is an album that it sits at the, the very heart of me and music together. Everything about that, that album speaks to me. It's plaintive, it's melancholy, it's joyous, it's crazy, it's weird. And yet, at the essence of it, at the very base of it, it's incredibly musical. And so it's, it's artists like that. Another example would be someone like Mark Linkus of Sparkle Horse, who sadly uh, is no longer with us. He produced an album called Viva Dixie. It's longer than that, but that's shorten it to Viva Dixie because the whole title is way too long um, and again it's uh, an album of it's got found sounds it's got um, it owes something to the uh, uh, American Midwest it owes something to country music it owes something to college music and it has big loud guitars on it in places and then tiny fragile vocals and a little choo-choo train toy playing in the background but and it's beautiful sounds bonkers um, it is bonkers, and it's one of those. It's one of those albums I recommend to people a lot, and 
less than 10% of people come back and say anything. Most people kind of go away and probably think, uh, yeah, not really sure about that. Yeah. Same with the Neutral Milk Hotel. But those people that you, you capture with that, those people that get it, they, they never forget it. And um, Neutral Milk Hotel is a, a good example of a, of a little bit of serendipity. After they made that album, Jeff Mangum kind of went into hiding and it became a bit of a cause celeb. Uh, it was in Spin Magazine's top 10 uh, uh, albums of the 90s. The band kind of disappeared uh, and it was kind of like it was all over. And then two years ago, they reformed and came back to the, came to the UK and they played uh, a series of gigs and myself and my wife went to see them twice. And it, it genuinely, uh, I've never really understood the word epiphany until I went to the Delaware Pavilion in Bexhill-on-Sea, a really interesting place, this beautiful Art Deco building, and saw this band I love play these songs that I love. Um, and it kind of reinforced for me how important music is in my life. I find, rather than albums, that it's individual songs that grab me. Depends really on the moment of my life, I suppose. Even the, the, the most serious parts of my life are punctuated by by music and if I hear them now it does it sends you shadow down your spine I remember the morning that my mum passed away the, the first piece of music I heard was um, Play by Moby and I still it's just that that whole sound brings back that sort of desolate sunrise uh, of that very day and, and earlier on this year there's a song by she's an absolutely great artist from the States called um, Samantha Crane She's got an album track called Elk City, which is big strings, country guitar, a sort of desperate cry for help from, from backwards America, really, about people stuck in a town which is dying. And it's just an incredibly beautiful sound, which sort of, at the same time as sticking daggers through your heart, plays a heart for your soul. Yeah, and um, I probably have focused on albums, and it's because I, I do listen to albums in their entirety, and um, I'm not sure whether it's... Um a kind of pretentious muso in me or whether it's just that's the format that I like but then there are songs um, there are individual songs that, that really speak to me but they tend to be um, they tend not to be those emotional songs they tend to be songs that um, have a particular texture um, an example being um, there's a band uh, from the early 90s called Uncle Tupelo and um, they, the, the two main guys still go on in their regular in their other bands one being Wilco, which is a band that are doing reasonably well, and the other is Sunvolt. Um, but the two guys were together in uh, Uncle Tupelo in the 90s, and they were kind of, they kick-started what was regarded as the No Depression movement, or referred to as the No Depression movement, which was taking traditional country music, taking the music of kind of Depression-era Woody Guthrie, but kind of putting it through the blender of what America was at the time, which, you know, at the time was the... the I hate the term, but the grunge movement, the the um, kind of Generation X movement, and, and kind of leading into a kind of a resurgence of punk. And so they they were playing country music, but with a punk heart and in a, in a punky way. There's a track by um, Uncle Tupelo called Postcard that is just, in terms of textures, it's the most wonderful thing. It goes from being an all-out punk thrash to being a slide guitar-led. Um, kind of almost country ballad and it's amazing it's wonderful and it's things like that I love that that um, kind of dichotomy even within a song um, and I suppose that would that would kind of fit in with my love of bands like Nirvana and the Pixies the quite loud quite loud kind of dynamic I'm a big fan of, of yeah that. so before before we play the next track by the Cardinal Sins if you had to pick one song 
that you would be forced to listen to for the rest of your life in its entirety on repeat, what would that song be? This is a horrendously difficult question. And there are two songs in my head that I would need to choose between. Um, and they come from two albums that I've mentioned already. One comes from um, Sparkle Horses' Viva Dixie, and one comes from Neutral Milk Hotels um, in the Aeroplane Over the Sea. And I think it would probably be Two-Headed Boy Part 2 from um, In the Aeroplane Over the Sea. It is the most soul-stirring piece of music. Um, it, it, it touches the very jelly of my spine, uh, if that makes sense. I'm not sure why, it's a very odd song. It appears to be a ballad uh, between a brother and his dead brother who's in a jar. Uh, it's not entirely clear what it's about. Wow. It, it touches potentially on some form of, uh, of abuse in the past by a, a parent, but it's also incredibly about love and about loss. It's a very, very strange track, but it sends a shiver down my spine. and. Um, I uh, make no apology for the fact that when I saw them at the Delaware Pavilion and they played this track, I did cry. It moved me to tears. And it still can move me to tears when I listen to it now. So, tell us about this next track. The track I've chosen next is called Skyscraper. And of all the songs that I had to choose, I had lots and lots of songs that perhaps uh, showcased layering my vocals or showcased uh, subtlety that I can sometimes produce uh, within my music or uh, you know, quiet pretty little lead lines or that I've used a bit of piano but this isn't any of those. This is um, a track that's all about um, the noise in my head, the static in my head. Um, it's big, it's full of guitars, it's unapologetic uh, and I made a very deliberate um, conscious choice in this in that the vocals are buried very deep in the mix and very hard to hear. It's about not being able to be heard. It's about um, falling, uh, whether that be from grace or whether that be out of love or whether that be um, falling and failing. The comparison is to we're all, all of us, really standing on top of a skyscraper and we're just hoping that if we fall there's someone down there at the bottom to catch us. Thank you ever so much for taking the time to come and speak to us. If you'd just like to give your band name once more and the title of the track, and we'll play you out. This is Skyscraper by the Cardinal Sins.
to say thank you to everyone for listening to the first episode of the British Donkey Uprising. Huge thank you to Paddy Navin, Cardinal Sins, for coming in, talking to us and playing out his tracks. And hopefully we'll see you again very soon. Take care, everyone.